this crazy world we live in, when people use the word geek, it can create certain impressions. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream. Let's learn about the real people behind the stereotype. I'm your super dummy Paul. This is Geek. My name's Steve. I'm a blogger, writer, reviewer, interviewer, and podcaster, and a, a good friend of Mr. McGuigan's. I've been a fan of anything even remotely geeky and nerdy my entire life, um, starting with Batman and Doctor Who as a wee nipper, and then obviously other things like Star Trek and uh, Superman and Spider-Man and everything like that. Uh, mainly with the comics and it would be the old black and white or blue and white or red and white British reprints at first passed down to me by older cousins and um, the Superman movies, Star Wars movies, uh, the Spider-Man TV show, Wonder Woman, all that sort of stuff that took a, a fairly lonely, quiet child out of a fairly boring, lonely world into the realms of fantasy and that led me into getting in touch with American comics, which family brought over from the States when I was little and from Canada. And years later, I'm very, very fortunate to be um, editor-in-chief of Dark Knight News, a site which I fell in love with as a fan um, through reading their work and works on other sites like Den of Geek and uh, Get Your Comic On and sites like CBR and... Screen Rant and um, Superhero Hype. And I applied as a news writer for Dark Knight News and I got the role and about a year and a half later I was made editor-in-chief of the site. That led me to create my own site with my boy Adam, um, who's also our um, producer and mixer on the Superheroes for Dummies podcast. I got into my own site as well. And then Dark Knight News with a great friend, Steve Conroy, who has guested on Superheroes for Dummies, got me into podcasting for his sins. He's the man to blame. And I've gone from just writing reviews and news articles to meeting some of my all-time heroes of uh, the comics and TV shows that, that, co- that cover comic shows and recording podcasts with some great mates and making new mates with people like the Comics in Motion podcast network, which is full of amazing guys who I don't just call teammates, I actually call friends now. And that, to me, has been one of the best aspects of this whole this whole scenario. It's just, it's just magic that I can talk to people around the world on a weekly basis and call them friends. It's magic. I mean, not just my heroes, not just writers and artists and actors, but people that um, started writing articles together on, on other sites as well. Um, and they've carried on writing with me on my own site. I've met them in completely different channels of life. And like I said, they've become friends. And that, you can't, that that's priceless. That's like the best part of everything. And through it all, obviously helping, I also part-time tutor and part-time mentor 
kids, um, a lot of whom have become writers on my websites and friends, and in some cases, almost like surrogate children. I've got a group of kids ranging from like 15 to 30 now who I've known for decade, decade and a half, who started off as students or acquaintances or friends of Adams at school or people I've helped by giving them books and helped them with their exam resets who've become like family. And that's, it's just magic. I can't put it any, any better than that. As a child, um, as I said, a very quiet life. Both my parents had to work because um, it was the 70s and we weren't swimming in money by any way or means. We were, in terms of uh, monetary status, probably just, just working class. And my parents were out long hours and I was alone a lot of the time, which is something that probably wouldn't even be allowed today for half the day or longer from about the age of seven or eight. So I was never an outdoorsy type. I was always what people would call a bookworm or a, a, a quiet lad. And um, my, my family, I mean, to this day, I'm 51 years old. They call me Stevie. And they tell me stories of how I used to turn up at their houses whenever I used to visit uncles and aunts and my grandparents carrying a, a, a plastic bag, a, a shopping bag, and then it would be like a, a drawing pad, of which I'd just draw and draw and draw a couple of comics, felt it pens and pencils. And what I did originally when I was little, what everyone thought I was going to end up being was a comic book artist. That, that was my goal. That was my aim. That's what I, I really wanted to do. And for a while, it looked like I might even achieve that. Um, I, I made some connections. I went to the London School of Comic Book Art and, and, and Writing. But um, I got a severe case of carpal tunnel syndrome, which is a very painful um, nerve disorder, which means that if I do decide to draw or hold a pen for more than, well, these days I can barely make it 20 minutes, half an hour. Severe shooting pains right up my arm and then complete loss of feeling. I can barely hold a pen. Um, even when cooking, I've got to take breaks when stirring anything that's thick, like even mashed potato. So that put paid to that. But um, I never stopped loving the art form. So instead of drawing, I thought, well, let's try writing. And my goal, my ultimate ambition would still be to be a, a writer, either for comics or for TV or, or, or for anything, really. I've got about 20 novels swimming around my head. But... Um, that dream sort of came true with the writing for the websites because now I can actually get the comics I love and not just read them and devour them and talk about them to friends. I now have sort of like an audience and that's a dream come true. And that's led to meeting some of my heroes um, with different <laughs> levels of success. It's almost also made me uh, lose some heroes, but uh, most of them have been amazing, amazing people. But being a little kid, age seven or eight by yourself, my mum's um, Spanish 100%. She moved to the UK in the 60s and met my dad. My dad's of Indian and um, Persian descent, Middle Eastern descent. So um, that was a bit weird as well because at school I, I did... 
get some harassment and bullying due to um, being of mixed race. And in primary school, I was actually taken out of primary school and moved to a Spanish school full time because there it was less prevalent and I could just be um, half of my heritage. I could just be Spanish. And that did help because I was with people who, again, who were children of immigrants who weren't that picked upon because we were all more or less the same. But um, I'll, I'll never forget that. And it's worse in some cases because I've got members of my family where aunts have married people of even possibly darker skin tone than my dad was because my dad honestly probably looks more Middle Eastern, less Middle Eastern and more European. My dad probably looks more Spanish than my mum does because my mum's from the north of Spain and she's very, very fair and white. And you'd think that she was the British one uh, and my dad was the Spaniard, but it's the other way around. Whereas some of my aunts, I've got uncles who've come from um, India and um, Iran, Iraq, and on my wife's side, uh, some uncles from the Caribbean and cousins from that side of the family probably received far worse racial abuse than I did. And they did get it at the Spanish school as well, because again, they were looked at as different. And you'd think that in the seventies and the eighties, when I grew up, that wouldn't be such a thing as it was maybe in the fifties and sixties. But I look at society today and I think actually we've taken a couple of steps back in that respect. And while I may look white, I may look Caucasian, that's not how I identify. And I am someone who despises bigotry in any form, and not just in terms of race, in terms of religion, in terms of homophobia, in terms of any kind of intolerance. It's something that boils my blood. And I think that's another reason why I've uh, veered towards sci-fi and fantasy as my escape, because in these worlds, sometimes they're a little more utopian, a little more accepting, a little more diverse. And that's something that in the 21st century shouldn't even be a concern anymore. But then you get complete monsters getting into positions of power. And the last American president was one of them, a, a subject I was very vocal about. I mean, some people would call me a screaming liberal or a left-wing whatever. I, I don't care. I just like people. Uh, and I like people to be allowed to be themselves, whatever that is. I mean, I've said it on numerous occasions to whoever will listen that you can be whatever you want to be, writer, artist, actor, dancer, politician, whatever you want to be. But the one thing no one can do for you, the only one that can be you is you. So you just need to go out into the world and be the best damn version of you that you can be. And when there's any intolerance of any kind, sometimes that stops people even wanting to try to be themselves and trying to be something else or someone else to conform. And that to me is like the ultimate sin. And as someone who suffered that, but fought back against that and rallied against that, it's the one thing I can't see happen, particularly to people I care about. I, it, it kind of kills me a little bit on the inside. So I fight for that. I fight for positivity in everything I do. I mean, you've seen probably jokes and conversations we have in our little discussion groups and whenever we get together. But 
I celebrate people who like things I don't like, whether I hate them or not. And I'll say, oh, God, that's awful. But hey, if you like it, great. And I wish the world was like that. Because when I see conversations from people who call themselves fans and they're berating people for liking something, not just saying, well, I don't like this because, and then saying, well, if you like it, wicked. I hope you enjoy that. If I don't like something, I'll just move on from it. Boom. I won't watch it. I won't read it. You like it? Excellent. Good stuff. I'm happy about that. Why can't people dwell on the positives? I can't understand people who seem to enjoy berating people and arguing with people about stuff that's art. And art is subjective. Art is something you like or you don't like. And that's totally personal. I don't know. It just don't understand how people can enjoy upsetting other people. There's no time for it. Life's too short. There's many more important things to worry about than a film you don't like and no one else should like it because you don't. Again, it's something I've talked about and I can't knock it because I wouldn't be doing what I do and doing what I love without it. But I've said it on several occasions that the internet, it's, it's a brilliant thing because it lets your voice be heard but the internet is also a terrible thing because it lets your voice be heard um and i don't like the way that people say well, listen i've got a right to talk i've got a right to voice my opinion yes you do and i've got the right not to listen if i don't want to for anyone who says oh can i write for your website i say okay i've got a, a couple of rules unless it's a book or tv show that comes out on a regular basis that needs to be reviewed on a regular basis my rules are write about what you love and write whenever you like because you can feel the difference you know when you're writing about something you're really into that enthusiasm is there it's evident for anyone to read I could probably be a lot better off financially if I had a clickbait site, and I'm not going to mention any names because there are a few out there who literally put up a headline knowing that people are going to click on it because it's angered them. I can't work like that. I can't do that. It goes against everything I believe in and possibly to my detriment. But Fantastic Universe is all about people writing about stuff that makes them happy. And the readers who read it, it's because, oh, they've written about that thing. I love that thing. Not about people who, oh, just review this movie. It's a pile of crap and we're going to dump on it. So come and read that. And while that's got its audience as well, that's not what I'm about. That's not what I do. That's not what I want to do. Even on the occasion where, I mean, when you review something that comes out monthly or every couple of weeks, not every single issue is going to be great. And people have accused me, oh, but you rate everything 7 to 10 out of 10. I said, no, I don't. I only share the reviews where I've marked something 7, or eight, 7 to 10 out of 10 because I don't want to send a review that's 4 out of 10 to a creator and dump on them because someone else might have liked that and I'd rather they got the criticism constructively and if the creator does read my negative review, I'll never say, oh, this particular comic was rubbish or this particular comic was, I would say, I didn't like this particular issue this time because. And I'll say, but that's just my opinion. But I share my reviews with the creators when I've loved something because that's when I think they're worth sharing. So people who say to me, oh, Steve, all your reviews are seven out of 10 or above. No, they're not. 
just the ones I've shared about. Because nothing is always great, sadly. Some things are great more consistently than others, but nothing is always great. But I want to share happiness, not misery. This is their career. This is their life. We've all been in a job where a boss has said to us, what the hell are you doing? Um, this is bad work. And yes, sometimes you do need to hear that. But I've always found, and my management style when I worked in retail 30-odd years, uh, was more of, listen, um, what you're doing isn't working. Here's why it isn't working. Why don't you try doing it this way? Because this has proved successful for these reasons. I, I don't believe in destroying someone's self-confidence with negativity. I would rather say, and there's been times when I've had to let people go, fire people, whatever else, in various walks of life. But I've said to them, listen, I'm going to tell you this. We've tried everything. I don't know if your heart's not in it. I don't know if this is the right job for you. Let's sit down and discuss what you are good at, what you do enjoy, and see if we can get you on that path. But honestly, this role isn't working out for you. But I would never, ever just sack someone or slag them off or fire them. Well, apart from the odd thief, which I had to get rid of. Um, I just tell them, listen, I don't think this job's right for you and you're not happy here. It's not helping either of us. Let's help you find something better. And that's been my ethos and my style for every single thing I do. The creators get all the negative reviews from hundreds of other people. Why should I give them another one? I'll share a positive review with someone because... I've enjoyed something and I'll tell them what I've enjoyed about it. I think that that's a much better way of living your life and not giving people more aggro than they're already getting left, right and center from other people. Hey, that's just me. <laughs> One guy, brilliant artist, color artist, guy called Brad Anderson, who I can actually say has become a mate. He's an incredible talent. He started responding to me personally, direct messages to some of my reviews and saying, dude, you're killing me. He says, you're saying virtually every issue that I'm doing a great job. How long can I keep it up for? And I said, dude, <laughs> um, I, that's, uh, how can I keep up for it? Man, you're killing me. And I said, listen, I won't say that anymore because I just you just astound me month after month and I, I just don't know how you do it because you're not just doing it on one comic or, or two, you're doing it on a few. And I'll just say that, as always, Bad Anderson is killing it or make some kind of joke as, oh, yeah, the colour art in this work? Well, look who did it. Enough said. <laughs> it's changed into that. Um, so, yeah, sometimes even with praise, you've you got to be careful how you word it because some people... Take it as a depression. <laughs> oh dear, good old Brad. I remember because we didn't get our first colour TV till I was about eight or nine, so that had been 78, 79. I remember a couple of pivotal moments when I realised what it was that I loved. And I remember seeing and this is my brain working in reverse. These giant radioactive maggots on a TV show. And I remember them like fascinating and terrifying me. And that was from a story of, of, of Doctor Who right near the end of John Pertwee, the third Doctor's era. 
and I remember then that, and I can't have seen them this color. I remember seeing them in green because we had a black and white TV. So I must have mixed in memories of later repeat showings when we got a color TV or from the books because my parents told me that I was picking up books and reading from like ridiculous ages, like six or seven and reading actual books. And when you're alone at home and your parents are at work, I remember the school librarian bending the rules horrifically for me, particularly during the school holidays where most kids were only allowed to take out three books at a time. I was allowed to take out five or six and I'd read them and take them back and take out another five or six. And I don't know if those memories of that show were me remembering that show and it making an impression on me and then mixing it up with later viewings and reading the book or what, because that, that was another mainstay on my, on my Greek journey. Cause I liked I liked things that are a little bit scary and a little bit dangerous. And that fascination remains today. I do like the darker sides of fantasy and and even comic books where it isn't all shiny, shiny, happy, happy, joy, joy. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, good wholesome entertainment is great. And it's still something that for people saying to me, oh, Steve, you know, what would you recommend for me to give my kids to read? Then obviously I'm not going to give them Alan Moore or Neil Gaiman or Grant Morrison, Frank Miller, Jesus, I get locked up. Um, I'd give them something a lot more easier to handle. But um, I think that was the start of it. That and that's why I like Batman, because he's not like this shiny, sparkly hero standing up in front of a flag. He's a a figure of the night and he scares his baddies because he's dressed like a bat, like a vampire. So I think memories like that, and I mean, I will say as well, I mean, that nothing could be more happy, campy, joy, joy than Adam West and Biff, Bat, Bop, Kapow, Zam as a kid. But the defining moment for me with that character wasn't those moments. That was the gateway. That was that was the door opening. It was seeing that first color American comic book where I realized that, Jesus, he's Batman because some bugger killed his parents in front of him when he was like eight or nine years old and that's how old I was and here was I a little boy who was by himself in his bedroom a lot and there was this other little boy with no parents at all I had parents this kid had nothing and he took that horrible tragic thing and turned it around and made it something great so that wouldn't happen to happen to any other kids and it might sound cheesy or corny or whatever else but to me as a child that was inspirational and this other when I was a teenager and Spider-Man doing the same kind of thing because he was like a guy my age and he was suffering through trying to get a girlfriend and trying to juggle a part-time job and also be a superhero and that stuff just like called out to me so I can't remember a part of my life because I wasn't a sporty kid I couldn't go out and run for miles I mean later when I went to high school I got into rugby and stuff and destroyed my body because of it and I was good at cross-country running I enjoyed tennis I still love swimming but the carpal tunnel and other things have literally stopped me ever from being as physical as I wanted to be I was very into martial arts from the ages of about 10 to 20 but um oh yes yeah don't don't get in a fight with me I can still hold my own but um (laughs) I'm nowhere near superhero level but it's always been part of me and 
even when I didn't have books to read of my own, I, I'd go into my living room and, and my dad had these books. And this is where I picked up stuff like Conan and the Shannara Chronicles and Jules Verne. I love Jules Verne and Conan Doyle and John Carter of Mars and Tarzan and reading all those classic works of fiction as well. So I always kind of wanted to escape the real world, which I still find kind of dark and depressing, but for all the wrong reasons, at least the dark, depressing, gritty urban tales I read in fantasy sometimes had happy endings or sometimes had positive messages to impart when sometimes I look at the world around today and I just despair for it. So I can't remember a time when geek culture wasn't a part of me and, and didn't define my tastes or my loves really always. I've tried to give everything a go. Um, back in the early nineties is when, Japanese stuff was really big over here, but obviously being um, half Spanish and spending most of my summers as a child and most of my young childhood in, in, in Spain, Japanese comics and Japanese animation was a lot, lot bigger in Europe than it was over here. So stuff I used to watch, I mean, Battle of the Planets and Mazinga and uh, Heidi and Marco were all Japanese cartoons, but obviously I saw them in Spanish and that helped me learn to read and write in Spanish as well as I do in English. So when that stuff started appearing in the UK with the advent of massive hits like Akira and Fist of the North Star and Vampire Hunter D, I tried to give manga and anime a go, but it's something I've never wrapped my head around. I've tried to get into it, but for the life of me, I just, I just can't understand it. I mean, Akira to this day, though, I will say that is a masterpiece. That's one of the greatest comics ever made, and it's one of the greatest animated movies ever made to this day, 30, 40 years later. But no, mainly I've stuck to the same things which gives me pleasure. Um, horror, dark fantasy, and, and comic books. And any comic books that can then mix and merge those particular genres into them are the ones that I've tended to fall in love with and pass on as well. Cause I do like the odd, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll still pick up a, a Superman comic or an X-Men or a fantastic four every now and then just to have brilliant fun adventures, which I don't need to think too hard about, but um, I always end, end up going back to Doctor Who cause it's still a little bit scary. And it's something that, we loved watching when my little boy was was little. He's a 25-year-old man, but it's something we still watch together as a family now, all three of us. And I do end up, God, yeah, thinking about it. I do end up going back to the old staples. Doctor Who and Batman are probably the things that I'll be addicted to till the day I die. Um, but they make me happy and I'm not hurting anyone, so... Damn it if I don't love it forever. With Batman in particular, and it's something that's probably plagued the character and got him as many haters as it has fans, is the whole sidekick thing. 
And for me, that that's that's actually part of the thing that's kept me invested in the character. Because, like I said, with Spidey, I was a teenager and I was reading adventures about a teenager. And I really identified with that and lived vicariously through Peter Parker. But then the other character w- was Dick Grayson, Nightwing. And when I was like 12, 13, 14, was when he was stepping out of Batman's shadow becoming leader of the Teen Titans and then moving on, becoming a man and taking on the role of Nightwing and whatever else. And to see a character do that kept me invested in his life and in his adventures. Again, he was a teenager who was taking that step to being a man at roughly the same time I was. And then in later years with the other Robins, with Tim Drake, with Jason Todd, whose ending was tragic, I saw different aspects of that. And I also saw friends of mine who were making strange decisions, were going down different paths in their life, and kids that I was really close to in primary school going off the rails in secondary school. And I had seen examples of similar stories with teenage characters in comics and I'm not going to say my life has always been perfect and there were times when I've had some dark moments and times when relationships were strained in my own home but lessons like that stuck with me and it's probably a reason why I do still to this day try to reach out to the kids I'm into and some of the kids I've helped tutor and kids I've helped with, 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 with their reading and with English that where they might have had a small gap or a small rift with family or, or with friends or I, I tried to help in my own little way fill that gap And I will still say that there are many times when I haven't grown up and at times steadfastly refuse to grow up. I will grow old because that I can't fight. I can't ever stop that happening, but I will never grow up because if you lose that childlike sense of wonder in yourself, then what exactly is there to live for? For me, art is one of those things that gives us life purpose and meaning. And if I can share one little moment or one little story or one little phrase of art and that helps one person feel something different or gets their mind off the darker side of their existences for for five minutes, then I'll take that. I'm not going to say I'm going to change the world or save a life, but if I can pull someone out of a dark moment for an hour or two of their lives, if I can spread art, if I can make someone smile, then damn it, I I, I don't see what what's more important than that. That's something that I think if everyone tried to spread five minutes of happiness instead of two minutes of misery, this world would just be just a much, much better place. And that's why I do it.
I've had so many brilliant moments when people have come to me and said, oh, Steve, that thing you said to read, I've really loved it. But it's not always been successful because obviously you're always going to find people who do prefer to look at different aspects. And one particular success story I had with a kid who wasn't really enjoying anything academic at all. All they wanted to do was sport, but to get where they wanted to go, they had to at least, you know it as well as I do. If you don't have an English and maths GCSE, doors are automatically going to be slammed in your face. And fantasy wasn't doing it for him because it just wasn't something he was interested in. But I thought, okay, let's try and think outside the box. What does this kid love? And his passion, his life, all he cared about was football, which is something personally I cannot stand. But this kid loved it. So I thought, well, hang on, let's see. What can I get him to read? Well, biographies. The life story of a really famous footballer. The life story of someone he looks up to. And because of his upbringing and stuff, and because of his love for football, obviously, when England won the the World Cup, is something that football fans are still talking about today (laughs) because it might never be equaled or matched. So I found those kind of biographies, your Bobby Charlton's uh, and, and people like that, people who were heroes. And because, A, it was a subject that he loved, and B, it was a character he knew about because his grandparents probably drilled into him as much as his dad did. Lo and behold, he read that and he loved that. And we started talking about that a little bit more because obviously I try to read whatever I pass on to read, whether it's my cup of tea or not, because that way at least I've got a conversation piece and that person can have a conversation with me about what they love. And that led to him trying out other things. And he said, Steve, I know you're not into sports, but is there anything you do like so I don't know if you could really call it a sport, but I'm mad on the wrestling. And we started watching WWE. And as you know, some of those um, WWE performers have gone on to be big movie stars and creative talents in their own right. And nearly all of the major ones, your Stone Cold Steve Austin's, your Rock, your Mick Foley, have biographies too. He started reading Have a Nice Day by Mick Foley and um, The Rock's biography and Stone Cold's biography. And, um, you know, I know for a fact that what I like isn't everybody's cup of tea. And sometimes I still get told, Steve, you're over 50 now. Are you ever going to stop reading comics? No, I'm not. I might have to stop buying them soon because my wife may kill me with a frying pan around the head, but I'll never stop reading them. I'll reread my old ones. But um, I do realise that when you're mentoring kids, they're not all going to have the same taste. So that was a success story for me and because they're reading now and they love reading now and they're doing different things now. And last I heard from him, he's um, he's a dad now. He's uh, doing really well. And for a while, he was going to be a tearaway. He was going to fail his exams, and I don't know what would have happened. So (sighs) stuff like that just makes me happy. And 
stuff like that keeps me going. While it is for me, it's not all about comics and sci-fi and fantasy and this phrase I use frequently of holding a mirror up to the world. Um, but that works for some people and for other people, the best way to get a response out of anybody isn't by smacking them around the head by read Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare. Some people can't understand the word he says. Find out what makes them happy. If you can get anyone reading anything, that is amazing. That is a triumph. I'm a bookworm. I read a dozen books on, on a two-week holiday, but that's just me. But um, again, I think that's why my main love comic books is something that is very positive because if you can get a child reading and interested in reading from a young age, then you'll have someone who will love the words and love the English language, hopefully for the rest of their lives. And I'm living proof of that. My son and my wife are living proof of that. And that's hugely important because I do see as well with the rise of dyslexia and it was not the rise of dyslexia the fact that we actually know it's a thing now and my brother-in-law who is a huge influence on my life and someone I love dearly he's like a brother um even though he, he's actually my wife's brother he and I get on like a house on fire and he suffered terribly at school because back then dyslexia wasn't even recognized and people just thought Oh, this kid can't read. He's never going to get anywhere. But he's one of the most frighteningly intelligent people I've ever met. And you could talk to him about history, about events until the cows come home. And he will read and devour texts and history books. And I just think that's amazing. Um, One of my students who's become a writer on on two of the websites i work for um a lady called faye clark it's a name you'll hear um, me talk about a lot and she again is dyslexic and while editing her pieces might involve correcting a few typos i defy you to find a person on this earth with more passion and love for the things she's reading than that girl. That girl read over 365 books last year. That's like a book a day. I do not know how she does it, but she impresses the hell out of me. And let that be a little lesson, or not lesson, a little ray of hope to people with dyslexia because Faye's dyslexic she's not ashamed of it she'll tell people and she'll write stories she'll send me stuff Steve I've written this down have read through it tell me what you think and I'll think throw it at me do that and those two people really to this day inspire me my brother-in-law Michael Faye Clark uh, and and others like them who may have been told for any reason that, you know, oh, learning difficulties, my ass. these two people are an inspiration to me. And don't let anyone say to you, you're 
not clever enough. You can't do it because you can. You just have to want to and you just have to find something that makes you happy and do that thing. Read that thing. And like I said at the beginning of this conversation, the only thing you have to do that no one can do for you is be yourself. So go out and damn well do that. Do it and you'll never be never be sad that you did. If you don't do it, that's what will make you sad. In the past, not so much, obviously, since I've made it into something that I can share, but in the past, people did say to me, oh, Steve, come on, don't you think it's time you, you moved on from that? There were many times when I have wanted to move on from that and times when I've almost given it up. But then I see that there is something in whatever you might want to call it, nerd culture, geek culture, there is something in there for everyone. Um, Mainstream stuff might not be your thing, but I honestly do believe that there's something in good fantasy, good fiction for everybody. And maybe I should pay a bit more attention to what's going on in the real world. But when you see stories written 10, 15 years ago, 20, 30 years ago, that if you read them now, you'll think, well, hang on, this is actually what's going on in the world right now. When you see writers foretelling global pandemics and foretelling the rise to power of racist, intolerant, people becoming world leaders you think well damn it it might have been fiction when it was written but it's almost bloody well fact now that's the part of the art that i see being the important part that whole cliche mirror to society business so that's why i i can never say listen science fiction fantasy whatever it's going to be something that's going to fade out i actually think it's going to become more powerful and and, and stronger as time goes on because even when it was new even tolkien was making commentary on industrialization and machines uh, and the destruction of forests when he was writing his books Uh, and it's still as powerful today as it ever was so People say to me, oh, Steve, you're such a geek. When I was 14, 15, 16, I might have thought, no, I'm not. Today I'll say, well, thank you. Cheers. I appreciate that. Um, Dear friends and, and some of the people I've brushed shoulders with in the past have said to me, oh, Steve, bloody hell. I don't know anyone like you. I can mention this thing and you'll tell me, who drew it and when it came out you're just like some kind of nerd yoda you're like a geekopedia and those things are stuck those are names that i will now wear as badges of honor so yeah okay call me a geek call me a nerd i'm proud of it i'd rather be happy and enjoying something that gives me honest pleasure and isn't hurting anybody than be otherwise um i'm geek and i'm proud and hey to the people who 
buy a new football strip on an annual basis who can tell me which team scored which goal in which year at which time which precise moment in which stadium um sorry you're a geek too you're just the more accepted side of geekdom you're just the side that's become the norm but hey dude if you can spout off that kind of stuff sorry you are a grade a number one top level geek don't um put down what I love and I won't put down what you love. If you love that and you're so passionate about it, you can dig out those figures. Dude, that's impressive. Good luck to you, but don't call me a geek. Pot kettle. Um, some sides of geekdom have been accepted for years and um, others haven't. But um, I, I've got to say, I'm very jealous sometimes of my son because he's got friends, male and female, boy, girl, both, neither, um, young and old, that are totally into everything he is. I would have killed at the ages of 15 and 16 to have a girlfriend who's into comics and stuff. And now they're everywhere. And um, don't get me wrong, I'm married to the greatest woman on earth. I I love my wife dearly, but that poor woman, what I put her through. But every now and then she'll sit down with me and watch her, nerd-based movie and say, Steve, I really enjoyed that. What else is there in this level? And hey, then it's something we can both enjoy. But she's a fellow bookworm. And we both have that other common love. The thing that unites the world. Grub! We're, we're food fiends and foodies. So that's our shared geekdom. Oh, baby. Didn't get this shape by accident. This is years of training and hard work. This is, I was skinny when I met her. My son. Um, and, and co-founder of Fantastic Universes. Um, was he doomed to be a geek forever because of his father? Well, yes and no, because there are many things that he's into that I don't get um because honestly they're far too smart for me <laughs> i look at some of the games he plays i pick up the instruction book and i think save me but um hey it makes him so happy and he's listen he's he's bet he's gone one past his old man he's actually turned his geekdom into a living he, he works and writes professionally for a company he loves and that to me is fantastic um i'll say that with my boy we could tell from a very young age that again he was not a sporty person not an outdoorsy person he'd rather be at home (sighs) reading thomas the tank engine and dr zeus and watching weird and colourful adventures than being out in the street. I mean, where we grew up, when we was in our um, our second and third homes, he'd begrudgingly go outside and play with friends because we lived both times in cul-de-sacs in roads that weren't busy at all, so it was quite safe. But he was always much happier sat on the sofa with me reading a book or sat on the sofa with his mum watching TV or watching a movie. So it's fairly obvious from when he was little that he'd be more of a studious booky type. So rather than stifle it, I mean, there was so many times when I was growing up when I was told, oh, get outside, go and play, put that book down, go kick a football. And I did it, but begrudgingly, and it made me miserable. 
So I didn't want to do that with Adam. With Adam, I said, well, this is what you love doing. Let's do that together. So obviously, um, poor soul. I did um, subject him probably to too much of my stuff, but um, it, in some ways it helped because it helped him find what he loved. And I remember clear as day when I was um, late 20s and a few of my friends from high school got back to semi-regularly playing Dungeons and Dragons a couple of weekends a month. And after one session, Adam said to me, Dad, that seems like a lot of fun. What is that? And I told him. And when you realised that you could play a game where the only real limit was your imagination, where you created a character from the ground up, and the more that character lived and aged and the more um, adventures he had, the more he would learn and grow, then he just found something that called out to him. And he's gone and made that a career. He's in the process of writing for a company which produces lots of Dungeons and Dragons related stuff. He writes blogs for them. He writes news posts for them. He edits videos for them. And he's living the dream. But um, I hope I helped him on that path. I know a lot of it is totally due to his own being. But I think it's because I never stopped him being what he wanted to be or loving what he loved. And I remember a lot of times growing up, going up to a parent or a parent figure and asking them a question and them saying to them, what do you want now? I'll leave that alone. That's no good for you. Go do something else. I, I would cut out my tone before I said that to my son. My son sometimes would come to me and I'll have no idea what he's talking about because it's so complex and complicated that I just can't get my head around it. But he come up to me and say, Dad, can I show you something? And I say, always, son. Absolutely. And he'll explain it to me and eventually I'll, he'll get through my thick head and I'll get it. But seeing the smile on his face and the joy it brings him, you know, that's just amazing. And the fact I've got a son who will come up and talk to me about anything, any time, I, I can't think of a single thing that's better than that. I don't think that having all the money in the world and having your own yacht and living in the Bahamas all year round can beat that. Having a family life where the people... I get up in the morning and I'll go to work because I have to go to work because I've got to bring money into the house and I'll do that gladly without hesitation. But as soon as the working day's over... I fly, I run to come home to my family. It's 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 the best part of my day is coming home to my family. And that boy is, yeah, he's my son. Um, yeah, he gets right on my nerves sometimes because that's just his age. Um, but there are times I look at him and think, fucking hell, I'm so lucky. I've got a boy who likes being at home, who likes spending time with his parents, who's never been in a spot of trouble in his entire life. He's going out with a lovely girl who seems to come from a lovely family. And um, however much of a grumpy git he can be, but, you know, that's life. He's also a great lad. He's a good lad. And he is not going to deny it. He's one of my best friends. 
And I hope that's partly because I've let him be himself, which is something I will champion. Comes back to it, be you. I'm not going to stop my son being himself, ever. It's strange the way the world changes. When I was a kid, um, first of all, I think the thing that made people stand up and take notice was Christopher Reeve and you'll believe a man can fly. And kids at school who used to ridicule me for having a Superman comic or a Spider-Man comic or a Batman comic would come up to me and say, Steve, I saw that Superman film. And it was really great. Have you got anything I could read? And that was the beginning of it. But obviously it was so sporadic because films would come out like every three or four years. But that was the start of it. The second time was in 1989 with Tim Burton's Batman. And all the people who'd only ever seen Adam West climbing up the side of a building, which was actually just him walking across the floor in haunches because the camera was turned on its side, saw that Batman wasn't Adam West in any way, shape or form. And then people said to me, and that by that time I was 1920, saying to me, oh, Steve, do you still read Batman comics? Yes, I do. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm just not saying anything. Said, Have you got some stuff I can look at? And now, with the Marvel movies, people who did say to me back when I was 13, 14, oh, Steve, you're still reading comics, um, are going out and watching these films as much for themselves as with their families. And in some ways, I, I do believe that that passage in the Bible was just had a massive typo in it. It's not the meek shall inherit the earth. It's the geek shall inherit the earth because the stuff I grew up reading and loving is now mainstream media. And I don't see people being bullied so much or put down so much for being a geek because it's part of mainstream culture. And what I will say to the people who don't, who still insult it, who still don't see it as a valid art form or whatever else, I'll say to them, well, listen, look at how that culture was in the 50s when they tried to censor all of it. And that's when it became the kiddie fodder that you insult and hate so much. And now look at today when you can get a comic book that's actually a biography of a world-renowned historical figure and it's one of the most beautiful pieces of art you look at. It's a script that's been researched by real historians and turned into a script and drawn or painted by some of the finest commercial artists in the world. A comic can be that. A comic doesn't have to be people in tights beating the crap out of each other and knocking down skyscrapers. But that's good fun too, if you want that kind of thing. A comic book can be Stephen King-level horror. It can be a Charles Dickens, Victorian 
story of orphans. It can be high fantasy with dragons and kings and castles and swords and sorcery. Whatever book you pick up that you love, there is, in this day and age, a comic book equivalent, which in many cases is every bit as good as that book you've picked up. But in other cases, possibly even better. The one criticism I've heard about comics is that, well, listen, yeah, the script's all right. Some of the dialogue's pretty good. It is pretty written, but it's still got pictures. You know, it's it's still a comic. I'd rather just pick up a book. And I say to those people, oh, so you don't like films then? What? Well, a film is a script with some nice stories and pretty decent dialogue, but it's got pictures. I mean, you don't go to the cinema then. You don't go watch a film or, or you don't go to the theatre and, and see a good play. Well, no, of course, but, but that's they've got actors and, and budgets. Well, a comic book then is a movie with an unlimited budget. You're not restricted by whatever special effects um, ILM can afford that month. You're restricted by your imagination. And it's a work of collaboration. It's a writer and an artist. And a good comic book is when those two creators are working in sync and you'll get something as good as any book you'll read or any movie you'll watch. So you'll watch a film. That's got visuals, but you won't read a comic. Okay, your loss. And that's how I see it. A comic book is a lot more than anyone thinks it is. If you tell me what kind of thing you love to read, a biography, a horror, a fantasy, a western, a war story, I will find you a comic to match your tastes. Sometimes I just think people criticise or put you down because that's what they enjoy doing. I ain't about that. I'm about opening people's eyes, not putting blinkers on them. Steve on the DC Comics News podcast feed on both their main show and I Am The Night, an episode-by-episode look at the Batman animated series. You can also hear Steve on the Superheroes for Dummies podcast, available on the Comics in Motion feed. You can read Steve's writing at Fantastic Universes, DC Comics News, Dark Knight News and CBR.com. Contact Steve on Twitter at EL underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. for Fantastic Universes. Find out more at fantasticuniverses.com and superdummy.co.uk slash geek. You can contact the show on Twitter at Era of Geek or by email geek at superdummy.co.uk. You can support the show and Fantastic Universes by joining our Patreon, patreon.com slash fantasticuniverses.